Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shelf Care Interview, an occasional conversation series where Booklist talks to book people. This Shelf Care Interview is sponsored by Macmillan. I am Ronnie Curry, Associate Editor, Books for Youth, and today I'm talking to Nidhi Chanani. Nidhi was born in Kolkata, India, and raised in California. She creates illustrations that capture love in everyday moments, which are often featured at Disney parks. In 2012, she was honored by the Obama administration as a champion of change. She is the author of the graphic novel Pashmina and the board book Shubratri Dost, Good Night Friend, and is illustrator of the picture book I Will Be Fierce. Nitty draws and dreams in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and kid. And today we will be talking about Jukebox, Nitty's latest graphic novel, which hit shelves back on June 22nd. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nitty. Thanks so much for having me, Ronnie. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So would you mind kicking things off for us by introducing our listeners to Jukebox? So Jukebox is a story about two brown girls who go on a time-traveling adventure. So they're cousins. Um, their names are Shaheen and Thanaz, and they go by Shahi and Naz. And they are looking for Shahi's dad who went missing and come across a jukebox. And when they put a record on the jukebox, it takes them back to the time period that the record was made. Excellent. So this book blends a lot of different elements, kind of foremost in my mind, science fiction, history, music nerdery, among many <laughs> other things. And I kind of just want to touch on, on all of those elements a little bit. So starting with the jukebox itself, it's this kind of sci-fi time travel version of, of C.S. Lewis's wardrobe in my mind. And it's this really cool and, and colorful visual concept. So can you just talk about how that idea came about originally? Yeah, I would love to. I can't take a lot of credit for it, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I can take credit for the book that I made, of course. Of course. Um, but, <laughs> but the initial inspiration was a conversation I had with my husband. So my husband is a vinyl collector. I live in a house with 2000 records. Mm. It is very much this kind of music uh, vinyl, all of these things are part of kind of the language of our marriage. There's a lot of different, I mean, comics and, and art and making, being creative is also part of the language of our marriage, but definitely music is a huge part of how we connect and what we talk about. And so one of the times we were chatting, I was talking to him about why jukeboxes are these things where you pick one song. And he said, well, jukeboxes only play singles. They play single records. And I said, oh, they, they don't have the full length album in there. He said, no, if they had a full length album in there, they would be humongous and nobody would be able to have those in their building. And it was just that one comment that in my mind, I started visualizing what a giant jukebox would look like and how powerful that would be. And I just kind of started taking notes. I actually, for the that was one of the first times when I had that thought. I was kind of going through this idea of what would cause somebody to find it. Anyways, long story short, I went and sketched something and that was in 2014. Boy. So that was kind of the initial seed of the whole idea. So this book is, is fiction, but it also sort of rubs up against the world of nonfiction a bit in that your characters are traveling back in time to, to notable moments of music history and, and just history in general. Can you just talk about how you chose those particular moments of history or those musical artists that you featured? 
it was really hard. <laughs> it was so hard to whittle down the eras, whittle down the musicians. I knew for a fact that I wanted to feature Black American musicians, mostly because I think it's interesting. At the time that I was making Jukebox, I think that the awareness around these topics was very different, even when I was pitching it. And I think it's very, I was so nervous, actually, <laughs> making that conscious decision, because I do think that so much of American music is tied to, you know, Black music and Black culture. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely, that was kind of one way that I selected, which was very, it doesn't necessarily mean that the choice was simpler because there's so many amazing musicians to choose from. And then the other thing that I looked at was what are albums or musicians that either are not represented as much that were highly influential. So one of the first conversations that you read is when Shahi and her dad are talking about Rosetta Tharp. And Rosetta Tharp is somebody that I discovered late in life. And she is the kind of, she was the basis of like rock and roll, but because she didn't sell as many records, many people don't know about her. And so that was kind of one of the ways that I chose the musicians and the historical moments. I really wanted to kind of cover a lot of different decades because each decade has been influenced by music and, you know, kind of goes, I think that political, the political climate influences music, music influences politics, you know, it's just kind of this amazing way of weaving history, music, American politics into it and how much music and musicians made a stand and made statements Mm -hmm. and how risky it was at the time. So there was a lot of different factors, but those were kind of the guiding principles. And you paid so much attention to detail in every time period, it felt like both visually and in the dialects and just all the details that you're putting in. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what kind of research you put into it. Yeah. So I have all my notes, you know, I have just, I went and I looked at historical footage. So I would watch concerts. I watched marches. I also looked and I fully stole, you know, clothing (laughs) from historical photos and put that into the backgrounds when they were in the 60s and the 50s and 70s. And the other thing that I found really, really fun, one of my favorite things is I had this huge list of slang from different decades. And so it was really cognizant and not forcing the slang, but I really, if I, if I didn't feel like it served the story, obviously it got mixed, but I, I definitely wanted to put a decent amount of slang because slang has changed so much over the course of time and you really it gives you a sense of interacting with somebody who's not from your time period so that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the research but a lot of the research was you know how how did people dress what kind of tones and colors could I combine you know that I knew that jukebox would be full color I played with the idea of having each decade kind of have its own color hue but In fact, what I ended up doing, because I wanted it to retain full color versus just being tonal, I gave each decade its own overlay, which is kind of like a fairly arty nerdy thing. But for instance, when they're in Chicago, I had it, I did like a yellow overlay. So the yellows are kind of brought forward more. So each decade that they visit has kind of a different tone. 
so I'm going to get a little abstract on you now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I wrote this question partially just to give myself an excuse to say how much I loved the color work in this book, the, the palette and the lighting and the whole thing is just really a pleasure to look at. And I'm not somebody who necessarily thinks about color on a very deep level. So I wanted to ask you how you see the connection between your art and music and and kind of evoking music on the page, which to me just seems like it has to be one of the most difficult things to do for whether you're writing or, or, or drawing or whatever. And I think you kind of hit on this sort of synesthetic connection between the way the, the book looks and, and the way music feels. And I don't know if, if that's something that was conscious for you or not, but I wonder if you can speak to that. Yeah, it was definitely conscious. It was one of those challenges going into making a graphic novel where music in and of itself needs to be a character and it needs mm-hmm. to take up space, but it can't take up space in the way that it does in our lives. So how do I do that? How do I portray that visually? And I started to think about how music will be in your space while you're having a conversation, while you're experiencing things. And so these, the idea of those kind of ribbons that flow through jukebox came up and making them transparent so that they're in the panels, but they're not necessarily the focus of the panels. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they are, of course, like when they first go back in in time and every subsequent time that they go back, but then they kind of just are there. And I felt like there had to be a way in a graphic novel that is so focused on, you know, music's importance to not continue panels without having it there. And so you know, I was just trying to wrap my head around how do I make it, how do I, with the still, you know, there's still images and there is no music. You can't, you're not, we're not at the place now. We're opening up a book and it's singing to us. So, you know, how do I make those pages sing? And so that was very much something that I thought long and hard about about and I did a lot of research to see how music was depicted in still images you know and so I felt like you know as a non-musician as somebody who's a huge fan of music and that art form it is very much a love letter to how music is this thread through our entire lives and and takes up space almost in the background but is so essential it's got to be there it's got to take up space Okay. Last question. I think I have to ask, and I'm sure everybody will ask you um, (laughs) as you, as you tour this book, if you could travel back to any moment in music history, what would it be? So I have been asked this question. I love answering it. It (laughs) is kind of the late sixties and seventies because it was such an exciting time for music and an exciting time. Actually exciting is probably not the right word pivotal time in American history where music and American politics were getting so tied up. And there was this consciousness that was happening through music and through the things that people were identifying with. And so I find if I could, you know, go back and experience that. And also it was this time where, you know, there was definitely a time where the things that you did, the clothes that you wore, the people that you were around, indicated the music you were into. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you were a punk, you were a hippie, you were into soul music. So the clothes you wore as you walked down the street would automatically tell somebody that you're listening to Marvin Gaye, you know, or you're, 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 you're listening to the doors. And I just, I love that idea. And I would have loved to see it. I I still remember this story. My father-in-law told me because, you know, he's Bay Area native and he was in an, I don't know, a restaurant and Jerry Garcia walked in and he said, the entire restaurant stopped and looked. And, and I was like, I find that hard to believe. And he was like, I think it's really hard for you to believe because you had to be there. And people didn't dress like that. People weren't like that then. So somebody who had such a unique flair of his dress and his look and, and everything that he was, you absolutely would be like, okay, this person is not like the rest of us. Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that's like. So I find I, I would love to see what that would be like. Thank you so much, Nitty, for chatting with me. And thank you to everyone else for listening to the Shelf Care interview. This episode was sponsored by Macmillan, publisher of Jukebox, available now. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.